0: Hey guys. Oh my gosh. It's almost Thanksgiving. I am so excited. I'm ready for like turkey and stuffing. And I know some of you guys are feeling really like you've swallowed a turkey and that you're stuffed full of stuffing. But this is my favorite time of the year. I mean, our Christmas tree is already up because these are all my favorite holidays. Let's see. Halloween was legit amazing at our household i mean we we went all out like with inflatables and like the ridiculousness of the neighborhood i mean kids coming by just to see our house it was it was really fun and my kids costumes were like you know not the best this year jagger decided to be a hot dog with a hamburger hat And Max was some Minecraft ender dragon that I had literally never heard of before. I went as Double Dare. Are any of you guys children of the 80s? And you know what I'm talking about? Or is everybody 90s and above that's listening here? But I went as Double Dare. It was pretty spectacular. So then two days later is my birthday. And so Halloween and my birthday are like, it's just it for me. I mean, I just have so much fun this time of year. And then the Christmas tree goes up. And then we just start preparing for Thanksgiving and the holidays. And I'm really excited to see my family now that everyone is vaccinated in the household. That's a whole nother story for another day. But I'm just ready to hug and touch the people that I love. Like I'm ready to touch people again. So I don't know how you guys are feeling. Many of you guys are pregnant or... Trying to get pregnant or just love a good birth story, but whatever it is, why you're here, I just hope that you are enjoying this fall weather and getting really excited for the holidays and for touching people <laughs> again. So, let me tell you about today's episode. It is with Kirsten Keach, and she is the CEO of Tiny Talkers. And so, I brought her on. Because she reached out about cholestasis, miscarriage, and epidural birthing. And I really thought that there was a lot we could learn from Kirsten. I have not yet covered cholestasis on the podcast, so this is a first. And it's really important to learn about the signs and symptoms of cholestasis, also, some tips for handling miscarriage and a well-timed epidural, and how amazing it can be. So today's episode is really fun and super informative, and it's a little gift for the holidays. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait. Is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them, and you, deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story. I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Welcome, Kirsten, to the Birth Story Podcast.
1: How are you today? Thanks, Heidi. I am so excited. It's kind of like surreal. I listen to every single episode, so I'm really excited. Did you really?
0: That's yes, so every cool. single episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. That makes me
1: want to cry.
0: Oh, and you wrote in, I just found out you wrote in while you were pregnant, but uh-huh. now you have a seven-week-old.
1: Yeah. Yay.
0: Yep. Very so, exciting. I am really excited. So we're going to talk about cholestasis and an induction uh-huh. and miscarriages. And then maybe we'll get to your second birth, hopefully, too. Yes. So, uh-huh. But before we Not get much. started and tell everybody, I'll, this is the first episode I've recorded on cholestasis. So I'm really excited for this specific episode because I think it's going to be really informative. But everyone knows I love Interviewing mompreneurs. <laughs> this is like my yeah. jam. I mean, I love all parents, but um, <laughs> as someone who's like a mompreneur, I really like it. So tell us all about you and your company, Teeny Talkers.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I am Kirsten Keach. I live in Utah with my husband, James, and our two kids. Henry is two, and Elle, like you said, is just seven weeks old. Uh, growing up, I kind of bounced between Utah and Arizona, but I ended up in Utah at Brigham Young University for college. My husband actually went there too, but we didn't meet in college. But we took a, I took a little break from my undergrad to do a church mission in the Dominican Republic for a year and a half. Then I came back, graduated, started grad school for speech language pathology, met my husband, did all that, worked in the schools for a little bit. And I just felt like I needed to help parents more. I wanted to get in the homes where I felt like I made the biggest difference and where kids were making a lot of progress. And so I started Teeny Talkers. And Teeny Talkers is my online business and my private practice here in Utah. I give tons of free tips to parents on how to get their kids talking. And I offer an online course as well. And I just hope that I can like I said, get into homes and help parents where they make the biggest impact and do the things that I love to do with them. How long have you had teeny talkers? One year.
0: Oh my gosh. Yep. With yeah, too little. Yeah. You guys, anyone who's listening, <laughs> like this is what I talk about all the time. Like it's never a good time to start no, a business not at all. So you yeah. just if you have something on your heart, like you just have to do it, right? You yes. Know?
1: Yes. I it? had people in my life just, who could just push me mm-hmm. and kind of made me. Yeah. And I'm so glad they did.
0: Yes. And this is the thing something is better than nothing, right? If Absolutely. I was looking for perfection, I still wouldn't have a podcast. It would be like, whoops, couldn't figure that out. So you just do it. I actually just went to Arizona. I just got back from Arizona. I went to a podcasting conference, She Podcast. It was so cool to meet with all of these female podcasters. But while I was out there, I recorded my first online course for Birth Story Academy, too. And cool. it was awesome. And my executive coach, Melissa, was like, Heidi, something's better than nothing. It's not a it great is, time. Yeah. You know, like I was like, uh-huh. hey, I'm going to be away from my kids for five days. I guess I, in my hotel room, I should record an, a childbirth course. So... <laughs> I hope this is... I love it. I love hearing one year in with a two-year-old and a seven-week-old. Congratulations. This
1: is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. It is. It's kind of scary to like figure things out in front of what you think is the world. But you do. You figure it out and you get better. And it it's really exciting and invigorating.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I will never forget my coach saying, "If even if there's one person listening, then what you're doing is important. You know, it's important work. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I really hold that with me every day, too. And I'm one person listening. So, Kirsten, if you've listened to every episode of the Birth Story Podcast, then you've probably heard me talk about my son, Jagger, who's Uh had a birth injury and has cerebral palsy. And his key marker is, with his brain injury, is loss of speech. So, that's how we kind of knew something was up. He didn't speak a word until he was 18 months old. And so your company and your mission is something that's really important to our family because it really helped us. And whenever Jagger has a neurological kind of growth spurt, he loses his language first. Mm -hmm. So his body dysregulates and he loses his language first. And then we have to work really hard to get it back with speech therapy. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your online course. Like if someone was listening and, you know, has kids and is interested in helping to get their kids talking. I joke, I'm like, y'all, not only do we grow babies inside of us, we teach them how to speak a language. <laughs> like, uh, and do everything. Else. And do everything. I mean, sometimes yeah. I'm talking to my kids and I'm like, I did that. I taught them how to speak a language. Like <laughs> yes,
1: you really do. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about it. So the online course is to help parents get their kids talking and then help them expand their sentences to up to like a few word phrases. So if you have a child who's kind of beyond that, then this isn't going to be for you. But it gives you all the tools to set up your home to be really language enriching in the first place. Okay. And then to use play as the basis to teach words and sentences. So it's all research-based and evidence-based. But some research we have says that parents are the best people to implement these research techniques. So I wanted to get this into the hands of parents so that they could do that. So that's the purpose of the course.
0: Very cool. What would you say is your target age of a child?
1: Well, it's very dependent because we have three-year-olds who who would definitely apply. And then we have six-month-olds who could probably start the course as well. So if your child is not yet speaking, absolutely take the course. If your child is using about one to two word sentences, you could probably still take the course. So it's more dependent on your child's ability level than their age. Okay.
0: So where do we find your course?
1: TeenyTalkers.com.
0: Okay. Very mm-hmm. cool. All right. Well, let's get into cholestasis too. Yeah. So I've never covered this on the the podcast. And so let's start with your pregnancy and then how that got, how you got to a cholestasis diagnosis. Okay. So tell me about your pregnancy journey. Did you do fertility? Did you get pregnant naturally? What'd that look like?
1: So we had like nine months left of grad school and felt like we should start trying for a baby. Okay. (laughs) So I got off birth control and we got pregnant right away. Okay. It was very surprising to me. I didn't know what to expect. Between my mom and my sisters, we have the whole spectrum of super fertility and infertility. And so we were just like, we'll go for it. But within that same week, I miscarried. So this was a chemical pregnancy. Okay. But very hard for us because it was not on our radar at all. Um, like, had you so- ever heard of a chemical pregnancy? Chemical pregnancy specifically, no. But I knew obviously what miscarriage was. right? Um, even my husband didn't really know that term very well. So yeah, no, we weren't really aware of it. Um, how did so you experience
0: was it? Did you just bleed or did you go to the doctor? Like what? how did that unfold for you?
1: I just came home and started spotting. I knew that probably was not good, but I knew it could be okay. Called the nurse and she said, we can get you in. Later today, it was lots of hours later. So by the time I went in, I was, I was bleeding and I just knew something was not right. So we went in, had an ultrasound. And the hard part was at the time we were with a practice with like nine OBs, a huge practice, and no doctor came in to talk to us or nurse. It was just the ultrasound tech who said, this looks not good. We'll have you do blood in two days. And they sent us on our way. And you know, being so young and this being our first experience with pregnancy, that's what was so hard about it.
0: Kirsten, I just can't. Okay. The audience doesn't know this, but I was late to this podcast interview because I told Kirsten, I was with a dual client this morning in this story. But it unfolded really different for her because her doula was with her. We're bawling our faces off, you know. And then the doctor comes in to talk about the next move, which is a DNC, like moving really quickly. So they just said, we'll do blood work. I mean, essentially you were already bleeding, so you were already miscarrying on your own, but no one even took the time to talk to you? Yeah,
1: I actually had to call back And asked to talk to a nurse to clarify what was happening, what we were looking for in the blood work, what I was supposed to do after that. If I was indeed miscarrying, like, could I try again? When? It was kind of crazy.
0: It is kind of crazy. And, you know, there's not a lot of resources. I mean, even having just gone through this experience this morning, the mom was sort of stunned and didn't know what to ask you know, so I'm talking, like I was speaking of like, is there pain management you can call in or send home, Mm -hmm. this kind of thing. For anyone that's listening, if they were to experience a miscarriage or something similar, what are some of the things that you would advise them to remember to ask?
1: I definitely, so my saving grace is that I have a sister-in-law who's a nurse, a labor and delivery nurse, but she's very knowledgeable and pregnancy and this type of thing as well. So I talked to her so much and she was just an emotional support as well. Mm -hmm. I think women always need another woman as much as my husband was so helpful. So one thing that's important to ask is about the cause because it's not your fault. And that's something really important to hear when you're going through it, to ask about what like you said, type of medication you can use or what you can do to go through the pain because it's pretty painful. So kind of what to expect. Although I kind of got the answer that it would just be a period and it was not. So know that. Yeah. And you can experience um, significant contractions. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just like I said, what to do going forward and when on from the medical side of things, even though emotionally, That's just going to be a personal
0: choice for you. Yeah. Okay. I think those are all really good questions because I think that is, that's what I saw today, right? Like when, why did this happen? When can we try again? You know, when Mm -hmm. can we get past this? So thank you. So here you are, you're nine months, you know, you're, you didn't think you were going to get pregnant that easily. You get pregnant, you suffer a loss. There's not a lot of support. Did you get the answer on when you could try again, or did that come from your sister-in-law?
1: Um, I don't remember who told me, but they just said, wait a cycle, and then you're good to try again. It was, you know, a chemical pregnancy, and so um, physically, you're probably fine. Okay. Were you emotionally ready to try again right away? Um, yeah, we decided that I was. I I look back, and I I don't know what would have been the best, but... I was okay to kind of continue the grieving process, even if another pregnancy were to come. Lots of people will tell you another pregnancy doesn't replace the last one. And that is so true. Yeah. So that's what we decided for us.
0: So give yourself the time to grieve.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what happened next? So we waited that cycle and then we got pregnant again. Okay. (laughs) So it was all of the things. It was exciting. It was scary, and we didn't know how to feel. But we just kind of felt everything. So very, very different than the first time, though. It was much less of that like naive, super excitement, and more of here we go. Yeah, but but there was definite like joy as well. Mm -hmm. Life is so great
0: when we are trauma naive. (laughs) Just yeah, that's true. I look back before I was trauma naive and or when I was tra- trauma naive and life was just kind of so blissful, you know? <laughs> and um it's hard to reframe afterwards. So yeah. tell me about that pregnancy. Is did that pregnancy? Yeah, stay?
1: that is Henry. That is Henry. So okay. <laughs> yep, <laughs> things went well. Okay. Um I think I had a very typical pregnancy experience. I was very nauseous for the first half of pregnancy. I kept going to work every day, but I hadn't pulled a lot of my coworkers. And so I think my nausea kind of manifested as like annoyance a lot of the time because I'm like, I'm here and I feel terrible. So you know let's do our jobs well. Yeah. <laughs> but um, nauseous, I had really bad acid reflux in the second half but I got on a prescription, which I highly recommend people do yeah. if Tums is not cutting it. And then I, I had really bad. That. Yes. Yeah. I had bad pelvic girdle pain as well. <laughs> so walking was hard. <laughs> did you use like a, um, like a support band or anything? I did use a belt that my midwife recommended and it was great, but you have to use it consistently for it to kind of do anything. But yeah, it helped a lot. So my pregnancy wasn't, terrible and it wasn't perfect, but I was super grateful to be pregnant and most of it was pretty happy.
0: Yeah. that's All those things sound a little bit normal, but it's really funny that you said like your midwife said it had to be consistent with the belt. I have a dual client right now who's like really suffering with pubic bone pain, probably like the pubic symphysis disorder, but like she just hasn't been diagnosed, but I was like, did you use the belt? And she's like, oh, I mean, I ordered it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm like, well, it only works if you use it, you know? Yeah. And it is annoying, <laughs> but. To feel better. And also with the acid reflux, like, yeah. I mean, you can try like Zantac or Tums, but I mean, sometimes it's just like the, the sphincter, the lower esophageal sphincter is just loose. And you're out of room, and acid just splashes up, and it's actually not good to keep having acid eating away at your esophagus. So, talk to your provider about going on. I did. I did Nexium. What did you do? What did you take? Uh, Lansoprazole. Yeah. So I can't remember what the brand name of that one is, but Prevacid maybe. I think is that one. But anyway, they're all not really sure. good. They're proton pump inhibitors, and they're really good yep. for acid reflux. So, okay. Yep. So I know we're walking our way into a <laughs> cholestasis story. Uh-huh. Okay. So everything's uh-huh. going like, okay, you know, like you're, you're kind of yep. having like some normal pregnancy woes, but you're also like, I'm pregnant. I'm so grateful. This is amazing. And then what happened?
1: So for me, I was approaching 37 weeks and I got really itchy and for about three days, I just dismissed it. Almost anyone you talk to when you say you're itchy will say, yep, that's pregnancy. But I actually googled. This is probably the one time that Google might have helped someone. <laughs> <laughs> but it caused me to call my doctor. It raised enough concern that I I knew it could be something not normal. So I called my doctor or my midwife, sorry, and I'm so grateful for her because she was awesome. And this is not the experience of everyone I've talked to who has had cholestasis, but she said, we need to get you in tonight and get your blood drawn and test for cholestasis. Where were you itchy? For me, it was my neck, my jawline, my face, Interesting. my hands, my feet, and my calves. But the classes, classic cholestasis kind of itchiness is hands and feet, especially the palms and the soles of your feet. So... Very weird.
0: Such a weird thing. Whenever my clients call me and tell me they're itchy, I'm like, are your hands and feet itchy? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, or is it like your belly is stretching with stretch marks, itchy, you know, kind of thing? Okay. What I wanted to do for the audience is I just pulled up on my phone, Google, and got to Mayo Clinic, was like the first one. And I was going to give just like the medical definition since I'm not a doctor, right? So cholestasis is a liver condition that occurs in late pregnancy. The condition triggers intense itching, but without a rash. Okay. Itching Mm -hmm. usually occurs on the hands and feet, like we just talked about, but can also affect other parts of the body, like it just did with Kirsten. So I think it's really important that we address medically that this is a liver condition. That's like the medical definition per Mayo Clinic, that it really talks about itching of the hands and feet and no rash and all that kind of stuff. So Google was your friend and your midwife was really proactive, right? And not just dismissing your feelings, which you guys, so many of my dual clients have been dismissed, right? Like, oh, it's just probably stretchy skin. Like, no, your neck should not be on fire, when you are with itching, when you were pregnant. So you go, first of all, you have to go in and you have to get this blood work. But in the interim, you have to deal with this itching, even without a diagnosis. So what were you doing to
1: soothe this internal itch feeling? Okay. So my situation was really interesting because I was exactly 37 weeks. Okay. And something with cholestasis is once you hit term, it's important to have the baby. Okay, so I actually only had to deal with it for, like I said, the two days until I called my doctor, and then the 24 hours while we waited for my blood results. That's a long time to itch, Kirsten. Well, (laughs) there are people who go through it for much longer. Yeah. For me, I just did my best to kind of keep my skin a little cold. Mm -hmm. Uh, That helped. A lot of people have tried lotions. Um, your doctor will probably prescribe medication if you do get diagnosed with cholestasis before you're at term. But since the itch is coming from within, itching is not very helpful. It's just kind of like an under the skin itch. It's so hard to describe. There's not a ton you can do. Okay.
0: So they were, your blood work comes back and they're like, we need to deliver. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I'm assuming that means grab your bags, get to the hospital, let's start this induction. Did you
1: have bags packed already? It was crazy. So the night I got my blood work, I texted my one sister because she was 36 weeks pregnant. And I said, I don't want to freak out mom and dad, but I think I might have the baby tomorrow. I knew in my heart that I was going to go have the baby. She's like, cool, 3 a.m. She texts me and says her water broke. She's like, I'm going to have the baby today. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I'll let you know about my blood work. Call mom. And so my sister's having her baby. My blood work doesn't come in that morning. And so I go to work and um, super anxious. I called the lab myself several times, but I didn't get the call till I came home. From my midwife, she's like, yep, you have cholestasis in two hours. We need you in the hospital. I did have most of my bag packed, but my husband was at the DMV taking a driver's test. So he wasn't answering his phone. (laughs) So I'm packing his bag, taking a shower, kind of freaking out. But yeah, we made it and we made it on time to go visit my sister's baby before we had to be at the different hospital to start my induction.
0: Wow. So her water breaks, what we call pre-prom, pre-term, premature rupture of the membranes. But everybody was fine? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Aren't she just carried early, you know? Yeah. Oh, my yep. gosh. So you stop by one hospital, get to the other hospital. I cannot believe this story. So are your your babies are probably just either a day or two apart then. They're a day apart, yep. One day apart. Oh, my gosh. How special for so these fun, cousins,
1: yeah. you know? Okay, so when you get to the hospital, do they do a cervical exam? I had had an appointment the day before and she had done a cervical exam and I was a centimeter dilated. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, we
0: go on a Bishop score and a Bishop score looks at like how thick is your cervix? How is your cervix hard or soft? Is your cervix open? What's the position of your cervix? Is it posterior, mid-center, anterior? And you get this bishop score. And this bishop score decides how likely you are to have a vaginal birth, essentially, from an induction. So if you're already starting an induction at one centimeter dilated and probably soft, that's like a good, that's a good starting point versus like a thick, closed cervix at 37 weeks.
1: So Yeah, I remember she had said your cervix is favorable, and I had no clue what that meant. But
0: <laughs> that's it what was, that means. I guess. A high a higher bishop score. So not a bishop score of zero, meaning it's likely to respond to interventions. So you mentioned like a prostaglandin induction with side attack. Mm-hmm. Is, is oh servadil. Oh, they did servadil. Ooh, mm-hmm. I you know, lucky you. I love cervadil. And our hospitals here are just like ridiculous because is very expensive. It's like eight hundred dollars. And side oh, okay. attacks like 25 cents. So they're like, everybody gets side uh, attack. Um, Our main hospital even stopped carrying cervadil. I love it. I think it's really good. It's effective. So they insert cervadil, which goes in mm-hmm. vaginally and it mm-hmm. can stay for 12 hours. So how yeah. did your body respond to that? Yeah.
1: So by the time we got cervadil in, it was like a little past 10 p.m. And they said, go to sleep. We'll wake you up in the morning. Contraction started in like an hour. Okay. And I did not know that they were labor contractions. I didn't really get what we were doing. This was all so fast. And so I'm like, wow, I am so crampy. And I'm telling the nurse, I am really uncomfortable. I cannot sleep. She's like, here, take some ibuprofen. I took like ibuprofen that whole night. And eventually they gave me fentanyl. Okay. And I was having real contractions by the morning. So it went pretty well.
0: And the fentanyl was delivered via your IV?
1: Yeah, I look back and again, I didn't really know what we were doing and I didn't know the contractions were labor contractions. And so I don't know if I would have done it. For me, it didn't help a lot with the contractions. It just made me very loopy. Yeah. And it didn't really help me even sleep. It didn't. So, okay. Yeah.
0: Some people, it really helps. And most other people, they'll just say, I felt like I was really drunk and out of it and I hated it. So, yeah, I didn't love that. It's hard though, Kirsten, because when you're having an induction, sometimes you take the servadil out and everything stops. And it's like yeah. not real contractions, you know? And so, right. So you can't do the epidural. Right. And at 37 mm-hmm. weeks, it's, it would be like they said, put this in and we'll see you in the morning. Like, they, no one was really expecting you to go into labor at 37 weeks with just servadil, one centimeter dilated. This is where I'm like, our bodies are so smart. Like, your body knew you had cholestasis. Your body knew that it would be safer for your body and for your baby to be on the outside than on the inside. So your body was going into labor anyway. We just helped it along. I'm like, we, like I was there in Utah (laughs) by your side. Your midwife in the hospital were just helping that process along. Okay. So it's the morning and you're having legit contractions.
1: Yeah, I was. Yeah. So what did they feel like? Just that first one was actually different than my second labor in that People always say induction contractions are different. I think they're referring to Pitocin. I never got Pitocin, but even just this felt kind of intense and nonstop for a little bit. I could tell on the monitor they were pretty rough. They felt like like people say period cramps, but for me, a lot in my back. So at first, I told my husband to try some of the hip squeezes and stuff like that, but that Was not good. And I told them to not touch me.
0: So hip squeezes and sacral pressure do not work if your baby's OP. No, and he was. Yep. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So occiput posterior, meaning baby's face is facing your pubic bone. So looking out at the world, the ideal position is occiput anterior where your baby's face is basically facing your your tailbone, you know? So it's very easy to tell if a baby's OP because if I cannot do a double hip squeeze, which feels so good in labor, that baby is OP. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. so, and that's a very hard labor, hard labor. OP is very difficult contractions. So what did you do to
1: manage your pain? So... Not much. I didn't know a lot, but I did what I could until they took the servadil out. That's when they told me, you know, I want you to get to that point so you can eat, shower, and then eventually we'll get your epidural. Well, I asked for the epidural as soon as possible. Okay. So did you get to shower
0: of, or no? Were you just like skip eat, skip I shower? I
1: didn't, but I should have. I definitely should have. I was hungry and nauseous by the time I had the baby. So that would have been good advice, but I I didn't have a good sense of how long this was going to take and I was in pain. So I wanted the epidural. Yeah. Okay. So how did you
0: handle the epidural?
1: Great. It was a really good epidural, very gentle and very relieving. Perfect. And it was even yeah. on both sides? It was. Yeah. Okay.
0: Man. When an epidural goes right, they go really right.
1: <laughs> that was, yeah,
0: I was happy. They take away all the pain, but sometimes you still feel the pressure. of I did, uh-huh. Perfect. So
1: you know when to push. Uh-huh.
0: Okay, so you get an epidural. Did you then
1: get a nap? I did. I slept for like three hours. It was great.
0: Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. I love those epidural naps. They are wonderful. It was. That was awesome. And then you get all of that strength to be able to push too. So tell me what happens when you wake up from your epidural nap.
1: So I don't remember if my midwife came and broke my water before or after that nap. But my midwife came and broke my water. Okay. And until that point, I was like at a three. Okay. Which I didn't feel like was a lot of progress, but my midwife was super encouraging, telling me you're doing this, like I hadn't gotten Pitocin and she was very happy with how I was going. She said, just get to a five, just get to a five. You know, that is the long part. That's what she kept telling me. And she was right. Yeah. Because by the time I got to a five, I think I got to a 10 within two hours after that. Yes. I so, mean, we need to say that again,
0: Kirsten, on this podcast. Okay. Zero to four or five is like forever. That's where your cervix is thinning. That's where the the actual cervical position is moving from posterior to anterior. The head is coming down. Like there's all these things that are happening that are not cervical dilation. But then once all those things line up, right, then the cervix is nice and thin. It's starting to open. Then it just flies open, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had a delivery last week with one of my clients, Brooke. She's hysterical. And we get to the hospital and she's clearly like about to have her baby. And they just do a quick cervical check. And she's like five to six. And she's like, no, 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 no. And I was like, I have labored with you before. You are about to have a baby. And she went from five to 10 in like an hour. Her water broke mm-hmm. and had a baby, like literally within an hour of getting to the hospital. So you guys, five to 10 goes really, really, really quick. Zero to four is just like the long haul, you know? Mm-hmm. So AROM, artificial rupture of the membranes at three centimeters, eventually you get to five and then mm-hmm. just really quickly go to 10. Were you
1: still yeah. feeling nothing? Just pressure? Just pressure. But I remember I was, my mom was in the room and I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to throw up. I do not feel well. And my mom's like, you probably need to push that baby out. I'm like, no. She called the nurse and then the nurse like, we got to push. And so thank heavens for my mom. Yeah. She knew.
0: She does know. I mean, how -hmm. many children did she have? Five. Yeah. Okay. You know, she knows. So shaking, if you have an epidural. Yeah, I was shaky too. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if you have an epidural, the classic signs of like, it's time are like shaking, vomiting, and then like
1: pressure in your
0: rectum still.
1: Yeah. I felt that a lot because he was also OP. So yeah. So, I was he, like, so he never turned. He never did. Oh my no.
0: gosh! I'm so glad you had an epidural then. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah. you can do it without an epidural. I don't want anyone listening to think like if you hear your baby's op, you can't do this without an epidural. You totally can. Brooke, who was you talking about? Her baby was op. She did it. You know, it's just hard. <laughs> it's just yeah. Running. It's really, really yeah.
1: Hard. I actually, my mom delivered me op, and wow. so she said the same thing. You know, and maybe it just has
0: to do with if your mom delivered you OP and you were able to deliver your son OP, it may just be something with the shape of your pelvis too, that it lends more easily to either position. So, okay. So you're like, I've got to throw up. I'm shaking here. How long did you push for?
1: I pushed for about 30 minutes. Oh my gosh. Kirsten, this is so fast.
0: Now, is your mom just like, freaking out because she's like, just wants to jump back and forth from hospital to hospital. I mean, so
1: I had my parents go into the waiting room for the pushing and delivery. But yeah, they were rock stars. They were going between the two babies. But by this point, it was getting into the evening. So I think they just went home and visit us in the morning. Good morning.
0: You and your sister couldn't have been super nice to your parents and coordinated to deliver at the same hospital.
1: (laughs) No, I I look back, I don't remember why, but I think it had to do with my midwife and her delivery hospital.
0: Yeah, that you had just your chosen birth team, you know, at different locations. Amazing. Did you do anything with like your placenta? I mean, because what cholestasis, like, did they want to do like pathology or anything like that?
1: They didn't. know. They yeah. just assured me that the cholestasis would go away as soon as I delivered and it did. Yeah. So so did you have to recheck liver levels? Like a couple? Nope. Nope. You never did. Nope. So. As long as you're not symptomatic after that, they just assumed that you're good. Okay. And I was. So as soon as delivery, like, were you itching actually during your labor? I don't remember. I think I was. I'm sure with the epidural, because a lot of it was on my calves I'm sure with the epidural that that just kind of was a little more numb. Yeah. But I don't remember.
0: Yeah. I was wondering. I mean, I was thinking like maybe the labor just is a little distracting also. But yeah, I mean, there's another reason to get an epidural though, if you have severe itching on your hands and gas. If it does give you some relief, you know, on parts of your body. Okay. Thanks for letting me interrupt this episode for just a quick minute with some reminders. One, Birth Story Academy is launching on February 1st, 2022, but pre-sales start on December 1st, 2021. So if you are listening in that window, I am offering 50% off to my loyal podcast listeners with code Podcast. Second reminder, there are so much to devour at birthstory.com for free. So if you just click on birthstory.com, go to the workbook, type in your email address, it unlocks an entire library of all of my free resources. So if you want to learn more about placenta encapsulation, delayed cord clamping, have birth plan templates, like whatever your heart desires, I probably have written a guide for it. My latest guides are on postpartum recovery and breastfeeding. So I hope you will check out all those free resources at birthstory.com. And last but not least, if you want to go the extra mile, I would love it if you would push pause and leave a review and then click the icon that says share and send the podcast or a favorite episode to someone that you know who is pregnant, trying to become pregnant, loves birth stories, or that would really enjoy the birth story podcast. The only way people learn about this is through word of mouth and referral. So I love those reviews and those shares, and I appreciate you so much. So let's get back to this episode. So, so interesting, right? I mean, what I learned from you is sometimes Google works in our favor, but the (laughs) fact that you advocated for yourself, you spoke up and you had someone who was willing to listen and do blood work. So I think that that's what I want my audience to hear is that we can only diagnose cholestasis with blood work. So if you are itching and your internal intuition is like, something is not right here, advocate, ask for that blood work. Yes, Go in and have the blood work done.
1: Yeah, some people that I've talked to on like Facebook have said they started itching, they got blood work, they were fine one to two weeks later, their blood work was elevated. So sometimes the timing of it can be off. So keep pushing if you are itching still. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Just because you're negative one day
0: doesn't mean you're going to be negative a week later too. So Mm -hmm. really, really good point. Well, Kirsten, we have a little bit more time. Can we talk about your second birth? Yeah. Yeah. That
1: was great. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to honor or address though that you mentioned that you had two miscarriages. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to safely now assume that that happened in between these yeah. two. Okay.
1: Yeah. So could you share a little bit about that second miscarriage? Mhm. So kind of it was a very very similar story. We wanted to get pregnant with our second, got pregnant pretty quickly within a few months and I didn't feel a ton of pregnancy symptoms with this one, and uh, a little after six weeks, I again started bleeding. Called again, kind of went through the same steps. Got blood work two days apart, and it was a miscarriage again. So,
0: did anyone bother coming to the room to talk to you this time?
1: This time, yes, because I had found this midwife that I delivered Henry with, and okay. she, you know, is a friend, and came in explained. Actually, this time I had to go to the ER for the actual bleeding, but then the follow-up blood work goes in the office. And so we talked it through.
0: Is that just because it was after hours? Yeah. Okay. Dang evenings and weekends will get you straight to the emergency room. Some cities, my city has two OB urgent cares, which are really unique, I think. So you could go to an OB. We only have two in our whole city. There's a million people in the city. And there's only two of them. So, I mean, I think they're still kind of a rare thing. But it's a, it's worth, you guys, anybody who's listening, it's really worth looking or asking if there's any OB urgent cares. Because they can treat random things when you're pregnant too, like a yeast infection or a urinary tract infection, you know, too. Yeah,
1: I've never heard of that. That would have been very nice. Yeah,
0: I don't know if they have any where you're at in Utah, but I just know that that is a thing in some cities. That's really can be helpful and keep you out of the ER. But now this is your second miscarriage. So were they just like, this is statistics? I mean, like kind of what was their attitude? Did they think there was a genetic thing or were they worried about progesterone or prolactin levels or anything like
1: that? This time, my midwife said, our first course of action would be your progesterone, especially the next time you do get pregnant. We'll check that. And other than that, She said it probably, again, is just a fluke. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, She did say if I wanted to, that we could look into it more. But But as of right then, I just felt like it wasn't the time yet. Okay.
0: So did you do about the same thing as the last time? Like waited a
1: full cycle
0: and then tried again?
1: Yes. So this time we actually did not wait a full cycle, but got pregnant right away. Oh my I god said, like I know you said like literally you said Heidi. <laughs> like two weeks later. Wow. I
0: mean that's emotional in all sorts of different ways.
1: Yeah. 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 So by the time we found out it had been a month. This miscarriage mentally and emotionally was not as hard for me. And I'm I'm not quite sure why. I think for me, the fact that I knew I could carry a baby to full term was very helpful. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was prepared for the possibility of it was also really helpful. And I had told people by that point that I was pregnant. So I had much more support going through the miscarriage because I'd learned that it just wasn't worth it for the people close to me to wait because I needed them for that exact scenario.
0: I am so glad that
1: you said that.
0: I have so many dual clients that wait to tell their family and their friends. And I always encourage people and like, make sure you have a handful of people that you tell so that you have a support system. Because like, including your boss, you know what I'm saying? Maybe because yeah. it's really hard to like fake a sick day when you're like yeah. mourning the loss of a child, you know? Or yeah. Pregnancy. I mean, it's just having the support system I've seen when there's a, group of people that know to really rally around you and give you time. And what's really terrible is that in our country, we don't have any sort of like specialized leave for miscarriage. Like, you should be able to stay home for weeks, weeks for your body to heal from this and emotionally to heal too. So that's my little spiel for today on oh. the fact that I hate that you have to it's like my clients who miscarry and they go to work the next day and I'm like that makes me sick so yeah did you have to go back to work
1: with the second miscarriage I wasn't I was working for myself so oh, you already had um,
0: talkers and were
1: I was getting, yeah don't. taking as much time as I needed the first time I went back to work it was over a weekend so like three days later it was hard I would be like completely dissociated like Checked yes. out,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. I can't yeah. even. Um, this is everyone's news flash on the podcast, though, that after you have a baby pregnancy of any kind, you are hyper fertile. Like, uh-huh. I don't know why that is, but like, I mean, my sister got pregnant three weeks after she gave birth. <laughs> I was like, first of all. Who's having sex with their husband, you know, three weeks later. But I mean, you're just really hyper, hyper fertile. So you benefited from that hyper fertility and this is your daughter. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yep. So when you have a miscarriage and you have a baby and then you have a miscarriage and you're pregnant again, like what
1: are the, what's that first month or two? Like, are you just. Man. Yeah, it is very anxious. That's the only word I can describe it with. Because at this point, I'm like, yeah, I'm one for three, you know. But I was immediately nauseous, which was helpful for me. Every day that I woke up, and didn't feel well. I was happy. But mentally, that was hard to not feel well, to have a little boy running around and to be anxious about the pregnancy itself and Just a roller coaster again. It's all of the things. Yeah.
0: So your pregnancy though goes on and continues. Yeah.
1: Actually, with this pregnancy, at six weeks again, I started bleeding. (sighs) Um. Luckily, it was during the day on a weekday, and I went in and they found a subchorionic hematoma, um which gave me a little more hope. But they did tell me that my risk of miscarriage was a little bit higher. So again, I was very anxious for a while and they put me on pelvic rest and I just had to be pretty careful for a little bit.
0: And you guys, that's when the blood pulls behind a part of the placenta. And so sometimes it becomes a very big deal and I've covered it on the podcast, especially with, there was a, an interview with Aaron out of Boston and um, it nearly killed her. And then other times it will, you'll bleed and then it, the, it will attach and it will resolve itself. So, and more, that's the more often than not, subcorionic hematoma will resolve itself over time. So yours did and you didn't continue to bleed.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was by, so by the anatomy scan, it was just gone. So. Yeah. Oh, that is just, it's just scary though. It's just not easy. How was the rest
0: of your pregnancy with your daughter?
1: The rest of it went a lot like with Henry, just reflux and pelvic girdle pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but did you use I was so prepared. So I used the belt and this time I actually tried so hard to keep up with some sort of physical activity, walking. Um, a lot of people will say walking makes their pelvic girdle pain worse. Initially for me it did, but the more I did it kind of the looser I felt is the only way I could say it. And um, I felt better if I could walk more.
0: And did you visit,
1: like, continue with pelvic floor therapy? I didn't. I asked my midwife if she would recommend going to a chiropractor or going to physical therapy for it. And she said that I probably would get relief from either. And then at 30... or 35 weeks, we found out the baby was transverse. And so I went to a chiropractor Chiropractor. anyway to try and open up and get the baby to head down. And it helped a ton with my pelvic girdle pain. Awesome.
0: Okay. I want everybody to hear that. Like all of my doula clients, it's not like mandatory that they go to a chiropractor, but it's kind of mandatory. I mean, it's so highly suggested to them over and over again that they just eventually give it and they all go. I really, really, really believe in chiropractic care to make your body feel better and to be aligned and to help your baby have room to move in the way that they need to move and to have your body move in the way it needs to move to be able to have a successful pregnancy and then vaginal delivery with a head down, baby. This country doesn't know how to deliver breech babies for whatever reason. (laughs) Um, Did you continue going to the chiropractor until baby girl turned transversus sideways, everybody? So instead of being heads kind of sideways and getting the head to rotate all the way down into your pelvis and the butt and the feet to kind of come up by closer to your ribs.
1: Yeah, I did. And then by the time she had turned, I delivered her pretty soon after that. So
0: Okay, well that's I mean, it was, what was great. That's what I was wondering. Okay, so like are you like then just waiting for cholestasis to kick in? Like
1: Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Is We were monitoring it really closely. We were getting blood work. I was very sensitive about any time I was itchy. It was kind of a head game in that way. Um but I never developed it. You didn't. Okay,
0: that do you know the answer to this question? I do not. Are you more likely to have cholestasis again if you had it one time? Yes, definitely. Okay.
1: The, my midwife told me like 60 to 90% recurrence. Oh, wow. That's really high. Okay.
0: Yeah. Because I know there's some pregnancy things that are not correlated at all. It's like if you have this, it's example. If your baby's breech and it's not for any significant reason, like a septum in your uterus, like probably not going to have another range baby, you know? but so cholestasis high correlation of having it again so you don't get it you're monitoring it closely how do you know you're in labor this time then cuz now is it an induction again or do you go into spontaneous labor
1: um kind of somewhere in the middle okay <laughs> i got a membrane sweep okay yeah so, so that is a for-
0: so membrane sweeping is an induction method but it's a non medicalized Induction, I guess, non pharmacological mm-hmm. induction. When did you get your membrane swept?
1: So I was 38 weeks and five days. Okay. She said I was three centimeters and 90% of face. So Woo. she's like, we could probably get this going if you want. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. So That's... we got the membrane sweep that morning in my appointment. And then by 2 p.m., I was on a really long walk. This is what she told me to do. And yeah, these were stronger than Braxton Hicks. That's when I kind of
0: knew. Absolutely. Okay, so the key to this is the fact that you were 90% effaced, okay? So a really (laughs) thin cervix. Remember we already talked about in your first birth, it's so long to get to zero to four because the cervix is like 50% effaced, 30% effaced, 70% effaced. Once you get to 90% of face, the only thing it can do is open, you know, mm-hmm. much faster. Okay, so I wanted to read to everyone too what I would have done if I was your doula, which clearly you didn't need, but just so that everyone knows. So if you get like to where you're three or four centimeters dilated, you're 90% effaced, and you are wanting to intervene, right? You are wanting an induction, If you get your membrane swept, which is where they just kind of massage your cervix and separate the amniotic sac from the top of the cervix, and it releases prostaglandins, I immediately tell everyone to do what your midwife did, which is go walking and then drink the following midwife's brew. It is two tablespoons of castor oil, two tablespoons of almond butter, or like any kind of like nut butter if you have allergies, like any kind of protein, basically. One cup of apricot nectar and then one cup of champagne or champagne substitute like Sprite, if you don't want to have alcohol. Basically protein, something sweet and bubbly. But I'm not gonna say I have a hundred percent success rate because I think there's like one or two that it didn't work on. But for the most part, if your cervix is ripe, like yours was favorable, is what your midwife said. Like and you do that, plus the midwives brew, plus walking, you're going to have a baby that night. So it looks like you just needed the sweep and a walk mm-hmm. and then you went into labor. Yeah. Okay. So how did you know for sure, like, ooh, I'm for sure in labor versus like, I'm just cramping, you know?
1: Yeah. It just, uh, I, like they say, like you, you get to the point where it's tough to kind of talk or be present with things outside of you when you're in a contraction. So my little boy was trying to play with me and I just had to close my eyes and breathe. And I was like, all right, that is it. Yeah. Uh, I did time them like my midwife wanted me to. I was texting her and she wanted to know how long and how far apart to let me know when to go to the hospital. We live like 25 minutes from the hospital. So um, we needed to go on time. And I had my parents come over and we left. Okay, so what time of day was that? I think we got to the hospital like six thirty p m okay. six
0: thirty p m and your sweep had been that morning. Mm-hmm. Now,
1: when was your baby born? She was born at eleven forty p m. so oh right gosh. before midnight
0: <laughs> so fast,
1: yeah, it was great.
0: All right. So now we have five hours at the hospital, but there's no way for you to know that, right? Like there's no crystal ball that says like, oh, I'm just going to be at the hospital for five hours. So tell me this time, the first time you had an epidural and it was perfect, was that your plan this time as well?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I liked it. Again, I didn't know you know, if the baby was going to be OP or something like that that happened the first time. I would say my contractions were not as intense the second time. Okay. Probably having to do with the baby's position, yeah, and me being able to get in some different positions for the contractions. Okay. So, did you get to the epidural? Did you mm-hmm. make
0: it to it? Okay. <laughs> when did you? Because sometimes that. This is that what I hear probably... people say. I didn't have time for it because they weren't that intense, and then by the time I needed it, I was ready to push. So you had time for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I was I was telling my midwife we should probably just wait. I'm fine right now. And she said, do you want it? I said, yeah, I'll want it. (laughs) She's like, you should get it right now. And it was good. It was a good, it was good timing. I think it was only two hours after I got the epidural that I had her.
0: Amazing.
1: So did you get to take a nap
0: and rest and feel comfort from the epidural Um, this
1: time? I didn't take a nap, I think, but I rested. It didn't work quite as well. At first, I wasn't feeling it on one side. And so we had to kind of turn and lay down. I did not want to lay down. It made me nauseous. And so I wanted to be kind of sitting up as much as possible. They made me flat for it to be working. So it took a little bit more kind of maneuvering, but eventually it did work the same as last time where I was pretty numb, but could move and could feel the pressure of the contractions. This time, how long did you push for? This time I pushed for midwife came in and said, Oh, yep, there she is. There's all her hair. I had called them in. They said they were going to come in in an hour and within like 15 minutes. Because so they checked my cervix at a five and a half. They said, We'll come in in an hour. 15 minutes later, I was like, Whoa, we need to push this baby out. They're like, No way. I'm like, Get in here. They came in. She's like, Yep, there's her head give me a practice push. No, 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 stop pushing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because she was coming out. So they had me stop. They got all ready. And then it was just like that contraction that she came out.
0: So. Oh my gosh. I've seen this happen a couple of times and it's kind of exciting that sometimes it can be that
1: easy. It was so fun. Yeah. yeah. And I I just want to like give people hope because I am like fairly small person with a very narrow like hip and so people have never told me like you have baby birthing hips things that you hear yeah and that has nothing to do with it like you can push a baby out
0: (laughs) yeah I think it all has to do with the size of your baby's head and their position and the the width of their shoulders compared to your pelvis and those are things that we just don't know in advance, but we do know that we can by ma- you were upright, you just said. So you were kind of like in the squatting position, just yeah, by moving and not laying flat, you can open your pelvic inlet by 30%. Is a lot of opening <laughs> of a pelvis, mm-hmm. you know? Kirsten, you had such beautiful birth stories, and I'm really excited that we got to be educated on so many different things today from cholestasis to miscarriage to servadil, I mean, there were, I mean, epidurals, pushing quickly. I mean, there was so many things we just ticked off in just your two stories. And I really just want to circle back on two things. One, what is your favorite baby product? And then two, if you'll just pitch your business one last time so that anyone that kind of was, maybe they were driving at the beginning and didn't get to write down about how to find teeny talkers. Here are your teeny talkers coming in. Yes. (laughs) Come here, bud.
1: Um, Okay. Do you want me to go?
0: Yeah, just go. Yeah, this is a birth podcast. Kids are welcome. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So go with favorite baby
1: product first. My favorite baby product, especially with my first with Henry, was it's called my breast friend, but breast is spelled B-R-E-S-T. It's like a boppy but it buckles in the back and it has a little pocket for you to keep your breastfeeding stuff. And it has a, like a raised part for their head. It helped me so much to breastfeed. Um, especially cause he was just like a slow feeder. That's so cool. I didn't want to hold him the whole time and I used it a ton with him. The second time around, I haven't used hardly anything except burp cloths. Yeah. So I'll <laughs> go with that one as my favorite.
0: Yeah. I'm like, it's so different on your first. Like we just need all the things on our first. And then yeah. on the second, we're like, I just need a drawer to put them down in and we're good. Like, no crib. Uh-huh. No crib needed. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's so funny. And then um, Kirsten, can you just remind us like how we can get in touch with you and be part of the teeny talkers community? What's your IG and what's your website? Yeah,
1: my Instagram is teeny underscore talkers. My website is teeny talkers.com. Um, I give So many free tips to parents. I do lots of reels and story times. And my online course is on my website. And I'm always open to texts, DMs, emails, however you want to contact me. I love it when parents ask for help. And I will link to everything
0: in the show notes. And um, Kirsten, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you and sharing your stories and being the first to talk about cholestasis. So that's really, absolutely uh, really important. All right, well, go give those little babies a squeeze because they are ready for <laughs> okay. you. All right, have I a will. wonderful day. All right. Thank you, Heidi. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go. And that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.